0: There is nothing more foundational for a follower of Christ than the greatest commandment. Jesus clearly stated to those who were curious that loving God and loving others were foundational to the life as a believer. We as believers can love God through worship, the studying of His Word, and our walk with Christ. We can love others through seeing, serving, and sharing with them. So let us build on the firm foundation of Christ as we love God, love others, and advance his kingdom. It's good to see you. Did you guys enjoy the beautiful weather coming in today? Good. For all the OU fans in the room, sorry that's been a rough weekend uh, for you. Now, I'm excited about sharing um, good news to begin our time before we jump into the Word of God. uh, Several... Uh, Weeks ago, the Finance Committee, along with the staff, before I got on the ground here, uh, made the decision to move forward with paying off the existing building debt. And so I'm pleased to tell you that we are now debt-free. Yeah. And also want to tell you that on November 13th, Dr. Todd Fisher will be with us in, in all the morning worship services, and we'll celebrate in each service Uh, with the burning of the note and uh, have a formal time of celebration. I would like us to pray together and give thanks to the Lord for his provision, your faithfulness in giving as a church, and then ask him to lead us into the future. So join me in prayer as we pray. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of gathering together in worship. Thank you for an incredible time of worship through song. And God, we are sitting in a building that many years ago, a group of believers under your leadership made a decision to purchase this property, design and build this building, and then made the commitment to give financially to pay for it so that it could be used for your glory and for your purpose. And Father, I thank you for this church and their faithful giving as they've given sacrificially so that the gospel can continue to be advanced through this property. And God, we sit in this room thankful for the lives that have been changed for eternity because they've heard the gospel preached and taught in this place, for baptisms that have been witnessed, for friendships that have been forged, for Christian brotherhood and sisterhood that has happened in Sunday school classes and discipleship classes and Father we just thank you for the work that's been done and God as we celebrate having no debt we also need your leadership of where we're headed in the future and so Father we look to you and ask that you go before us and that you would show us the way we know that there may be funds available that haven't been available because they've been tied up and paying for this building that are now free. And so, God, we pray that we would be good stewards of the funds that you've given, that we'd put them into work that's most glorifying and honoring to you. And Father, we also ask that you'll lead us in how we use and continue to maximize the property that you've given us. And God, we ask that you'd lead us now and in the days ahead, and that we would walk in obedience to your direction, and we pray this in your name. Amen. If you got your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 3. The last three weeks, we've talked about the greatest commandment, about the loving God portion, that we love God with our worship through his word and with our walk, and then this week, we'll turn the corner to the second part of the greatest commandment, which is to love our neighbor uh, as ourselves. And so we'll talk specifically that we'll love our neighbors by seeing our neighbors. And that's an important word, the idea of seeing them. You can serve people and actually not see them. You can share with people and actually not see them. But I believe that Jesus desires that we see people. And we'll talk about this today. Next week, we'll talk about serving people. And in two weeks from today, we'll talk about sharing with people. And I, I want you to be aware of what's happening two weeks from today. We'll have a special guest with us that morning and all the morning services. Grace Lyons, who is the shortstop of the back-to-back national champion OU softball team, will be here. And I will interview her in all the services about what she's doing to reach people with the gospel in Norman and nationwide through softball. She's shown to be a faithful disciple maker, and so I've asked her to come and share as a part of that sermon that we'll preach in a couple weeks. I do know for high schools, that's fall break, so you may have plans, but if you can rearrange your plans to be back for that, that would be great. I'll tell you the story this morning, a brief story of Alexander Sheeman. Alexander was a priest who led a reform movement in Russian orthodoxy, but him and his fiance were traveling on a subway in Paris, France. At one stop, in particular, an old, ugly woman, as she was described, dressed in the uniform of the Salvation Army, got on and found a seat nearby them. Alexander and her fiance whispered to each other in Russian how repulsive she looked. A few stops later, that woman got up to exit, and as she passed by them, she said in perfect Russian, I wasn't always ugly. That woman, as Alexander described it, was an angel of God. She opened his eyes, searing his vision in a way that he would not forget. Just as Alexander's eyes were opened in that situation, that he thought speaking in Russian was safe on a subway train in France, realized that that woman could speak Russian and hear everything he said. His eyes were open to the fact that that's the case. I believe that the Lord can open our eyes this morning as we look at an example of two men who were going through the routine of their everyday life and encountered a man who was doing the same and what happened as it was a major game changer. And so in Acts chapter three, we're gonna look at the first 16 verses this actual story goes all the way over into Acts chapter 4, verse 31. We're not going to read the entire story. I will read parts of it and refer to parts of it. But we'll begin with the first 16 verses as it lays the foundation for us this morning. So let's read together. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame for birth was being, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called Beautiful Gate, Verse 11 When he clung to Peter and John all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's and when Peter saw it he addressed the people Men of Israel why do you wonder at this or why do you stare at us as though by our own power and piety we have made him walk The God of Abraham the God of Isaac the God of Jacob the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus whom you delivered over and denied the presence of Pilate when he decided to release him but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are all witnesses. And, by, and his name, by faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man perfect health in the presence of you all. There are four points this morning. The first is this. We need to see the needs of others. Let me... Set the characters for you. You got Peter and John who are disciples that had been with Jesus. They are walking through the routine of their daily life. As Jewish devout Jews, they had not broken from temple, so they were showing up to the temple to worship at um, 9 a.m., at 3 p.m., and at sunset, right? These three times a day they were coming. They had some foundational elements uh, of of their faith and beliefs, and they were this, the Torah, worship, and the giving of alms being a blessing to other people. And so as they're going through their afternoon routine at three o'clock in the afternoon, as the the text tells us, as they're going through this routine, they're joined by a lot of other people. It's kind of like a a busy um, intersection, right? And uh, all all this is happening. I don't know about you, but For me, my routine's been a little bit messed up in this move and transition over here. There was a time where I was up at 4 a.m., I'd spend time with the Lord and read my Bible and maybe read a book or two or some chapters of a book, and then I'd head to the gym at five and work out, and then I'd get home and help with the kids and get them ready to school, and I'd go to work and work through my routine. I never had anybody volunteer to show up at 4 a.m. and hang out with me. That's like, not fun. But I would have people that would join me during my workday routine at different times and they would, they would come alongside me and they would say, hey, uh, did you see that? And I'm like, no. Or they would ask, uh, why, why do you do it that way? And I'd be like, I don't know. Because I was so, I was so used to the routine that I would miss things that were happening in my life. And, and here you got Peter and John in a routine of going to the temple to pray, walking past people all the time, right? They were busy men carrying out the mission of Jesus Christ. They literally had just experienced Pentecost. It was a life-changing work. And these beggars that might have been there at the temple could have been obstacles or distractions from carrying out the Lord's work. And let's talk about this lame man, this beggar who the text mentions. Listen, he knew the foundational elements of the Jewish faith. He knew that giving alms was a part of it. So he showed up. It says actually that the text that he was carried to the gate and placed at the gate. And where was his position there? It was at the beautiful gate. This beautiful gate was one of the most favorite entrances into the temple. Many people would pass by there. I tried to think of a contemporary illustration of this and came up with two. The first would be the intersection at Penn Memorial in Oklahoma City. That's near Quell Springs Mall. At the holiday season, everybody from Oklahoma comes to that intersection at some point. It's terrible. The other one I thought of was the Chick-fil-A drive-through line. (laughs) Listen, he was aware where people would walk. He begged every day. In fact, the verb used in in, in this text says that it was a regular, habitual action. Every day, this is what he did. Why? Because medical help was not, um, was not accessible to him and to fix his condition. He, was, he had no hope. The only way to support himself was to beg, and so he did. This man was not just broke. He was broken, physically crippled. If you look at Acts 4.22, it tells us how long he's been dealing with this. For the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. For some 40 years, give or take a little, people carried him everywhere he had to go. 40 years, they would place him in the same spot and he would ask people for money. Listen, this lame man had a physical need, but his physical need is also a picture of the condition of a sinner who has no hope of getting out of our sin, being dead in our transgressions without the person of Jesus Christ and his work. So this lame man sees Peter and John. Now, we don't know exactly the setup, like where he was at and if Peter and John actually walked like right past him or if he had learned the skill of scanning the crowd and seeing people that most likely might give him something if he asked for it. But all we know is this, is that he saw Peter and John and he asked them for alms. Ask them for money. And this is where seeing the needs of people comes into play. If you look in verse four, it says, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John. Some of your Bibles might say looked straight at the beggar. But this idea of directed their gaze shows the intensity. This was not just casually looking upon the man. This was actually seeing him, being able to know the things about him and this, is, this, is, this story highlights something for us. Ready, church? It highlights the importance of seeing people around us. Think about all the people that you walked past to get here. How many of them did you actually see? I'm not saying casually looked upon or how many did you see? This is a reminder, a sobering reality that we literally could have walked into this space and been oblivious to the people who were sitting in chairs next to us, in hallways as we walked past them, ignoring the needs that they may have that are right in front of us. People often tend to ignore their obligation to care for the needy. And so I want to say this to you this morning, church. We have to be careful that we do not let the busyness of our lives preoccupy us so much that we miss what God is doing in the people right in front of us. Jesus pays attention to if you look at people, and He pays attention to how you look at people. A while back at Quell Springs Baptist Church, I sat on the back row. I know as a staff member, I'd be in a back row Baptist, but I did. I just sat on the back row. I've moved to the front row now. But I sat on the back row, up top in our balcony area. I could see the whole room. One particular Sunday morning, somebody came through the back doors and walked down the aisle All the way to the front, of course, as a staff member, I'm getting a little bit nervous, like it's the preaching portion of the sermon, everybody's seated, why is this guy all of a sudden moving his way to the, so I start to, you know, I'm like getting my phone out of my pocket, I'm about to start texting people, I'm a little concerned, so our pastor just keeps preaching, as soon as the service is over, he stepped right down. The guy was at seating himself on the front row. Our pastor stepped down and started talking to him and engaging him. The next day, we're in staff meeting, and we're having this discussion about, hey, how should we handle situations like that? Should, should a security guy be on the front row in case something like that was to happen again? What if this guy would have been dangerous and something would have happened, and our pastor stopped us and looked and said, I want you to understand something. The Lord Jesus pays attention to how you look at people and how you care for people. And church, it's a reminder as we read this story that Peter and John didn't see this lame man as an obstacle or a distraction. They saw him, and they saw his needs, and they looked at him. And as Tony Morita would say, May God give us the compassionate hearts for meeting the physical and spiritual needs of, an, of every individual. To see those who might feel lost in the crowd. I want our church, I want myself, I want you to be people who sees people the way Jesus does. And they invited him to look at them. Now why, and if you, if you keep reading here, it says, and, G, and Peter said to them, look at us. Why would Peter say, look at us? Because he knew that beggars would be scanning for the next person they were going to ask. He wanted the man's full attention, but there's also something significant here. And it's this, Jesus, Peter and John were focused on him alone. Listen, they just preached Pentecost where thousands of people came to faith in the Lord. They could have walked into the temple and been looking for the biggest crowd to be a part of, yet they were focused on one person in front of them. Let let me remind us this morning that those who reach many care about reaching one. You don't reach thousands unless you reach one. And listen, we might be excited about the number of people in worship or how many people we've taught or how many people we've led to the Lord. And listen, those things matter in the kingdom of God. But I will say this. What matters most to God is that he watches faithfully to see how we interact with the one he's put in our life today and the one he'll put in your life tomorrow and the one he'll put in your life on Tuesday and in the next month. There's a reason why Jesus emphasized leaving the 99 to go and find the one. There's a reason in the parable of the lost coin that they tore the house apart to find the coin, right? That that there's these ideas that one matters. And so we need to see the needs of others. We also need to see the potential of others. If you keep reading in the story, the man fixes his attention upon them expecting to receive alms. I don't know about you but have you ever expected to receive something that you kind of wanted but you actually got what you needed there was a a particular time an organization was having a little banquet and I had went this previous the, the previous year and saw that a church and the person associated with that church they received a really nice uh like gift from them for coming alongside and supporting them so the next year we were hosting and and we, were, we had come alongside and supported this organization, and I expected that we would get a really nice gift, too. And so the time came when they came up to say, and they're like, hey, we'd like to thank Jeff DiGiacomo and Coel Springs Baptist Church for their support. And then I was waiting for the moment to, like, come up on the stage and get the gift, and there was no gift. That was it. Just a thank you from the stage. I expected to receive this, but I actually got what I needed because when I got in the car, the Lord just reminded me, you don't serve to receive prizes and gifts and rewards. You serve so that my name might be made known. And this is what's happening here is this man's fixed his attention upon them expecting to get something. And Peter says, I don't have silver or gold. And his his demeanor might have changed, but then Peter steps right into it and gives him what he needs. He says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. What happens next is significant. Listen, Peter didn't invoke his name to raise the man up. He invoked the name of Jesus, and this is why this matters, because a name at their, in their time was representative of a person's being and authority. They weren't just saying the name of Jesus to say his name. They were calling on his power and his authority when they said it. And when we call upon the name of Jesus to work in the hearts of those that we see, we are calling on a power and authority that is far superior to anything else in this world. Now, the lame man knew he could not walk. And so when Peter said, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk, he didn't get up. Imagine being in this state for 40 years, and you're told in the name of Jesus to rise up and walk. You're going to think to yourself, you're crazy, I can't stand up. So Peter did a Peter thing. Peter always has these moments where he kind of just goes off the rails a little bit. He just grabs a dude and pulls him up, yanks him up. And listen to what happened. He took his hand and stood him up. And as the Greek word states, instantly everything came together. Luke was making a distinction when he said feet and ankles, right? He's, he's making a distinction about what's happening. And as the man was brought up and as he leaped up, this describes an instantaneous action of the socket of something that was, falling out, that was out of place falling into the right place. Listen, when Peter saw him, he saw his needs. And on this particular day, he saw his potential that this man can walk in the name of Jesus. And so right there, in the name of Jesus, he helps this man stand up. And when this man stood up, think about this. Again, 40 years of not being able to move, to walk, having to be carried everywhere you go. He, it says he took a step. Now think about that first step. He was putting his foot out thinking, am, is this, am I going to stay standing when I walk forward? And then the second step, And then the third step. And then all of a sudden, this dude is running around the temple, hooping and hollering, praising God, and everybody is in awe. And this brings us to the third point, see the impact of others. In verse 9, it says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Listen, when Jesus does a miraculous work in the life of somebody, everybody takes notice. It's it's impossible to miss the miraculous power of Jesus Christ in the life of people. This man was clinging to Peter and John, as the text mentions. So imagine this scene, a crippled man who's been sitting at the gate for all these years is now running, dancing, leaping around. There was zero doubt about, what, about who this man was and what had happened. There was zero doubt about who was responsible for this miracle. They literally were filled with wonder and amazement. Do you think that when Peter focused his attention upon that one man, that he saw his needs, that he saw the potential that he could walk in Jesus' name, and that there would be an impact by his life far greater than he could ever imagine? And that's exactly what happened. This is what Jesus Christ does in the lives of those we see. When we see them the way Jesus sees them, we watch him do a work of transformation, and you and I can often be guilty of overlooking miracles and moments such as this, why? Because it's hard for us to imagine that that happens instantly. But let me ask you this question. Isn't that what happened in your life the day that you met Jesus and he became your Lord and Savior? Remember, that lame man is a picture of a sinner's condition, dead in his trespasses and sins with no hope of fixing his current state. And Jesus met you setting by a gate of your life, and he walked past you at some point and saw you dead in your transgressions and sins, saw the potential that you had and the impact that you could make, and looked at you and said, if you will repent and believe. And when you trusted him as your Lord and Savior, instantaneously you became alive. You moved from death to life. And this is what Jesus does in the life of people. And I've been guilty at times, church, of thinking to myself, so-and-so is probably not interested in Jesus. They're not, they're not even looking to change. Or they're beyond it. They, they've moved so far beyond the, the grace of Jesus Christ that they have no interest in it. And shame on me. And shame on us for walking past people who God might have put in our path and is using us as his agents to carry out his mission. To share the life-changing message because we didn't see them. We need to see people the way that Jesus sees them their needs, their potential, and their impact. But when they see you, as the lame man looked back at Peter and John, when they see you, this brings us to the fourth point let them see Jesus. Peter saw the crowd's astonishment, right? They were utterly astounded, as we see in verse 11. They've gathered in this portico, and they're not just gathered together, they're paying attention. And Peter took the example to point them to Jesus. He addressed them by making clear who did this miracle. Listen, just as he did with Pentecost, he took the healing of this lame man and turned it into a sermon. And the healing of this man was a mighty act of Jesus Christ, setting him apart as both Lord and Savior. I think one of the most remarkable things about this sermon is is its Christ-centeredness. I mean, we sang the song right before the preaching that, Oh, Christ, be magnified, right? That is what Peter's doing in this sermon. Christ is the center. He moves the crowd's attention away from the lame man and the apostles. When he even says, right, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this and why do you stare at us? As though by our own power we've made this man walk. He describes Jesus as the Jesus Christ of Nazareth, God's servant, the one who suffered, the one who is holy and righteous, the author of life and the prophet foretold by Moses. But then he wasted no time in pointing to them about their own spirit, their own needs. Right? Remember? Because he saw. He saw these people gather together and they were paying attention. And he saw their spiritual needs too. And so he confronts their sin head on. I don't think there's anything, any more bold statement in verse 15 that says, You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. He basically said, "It's your fault that this has happened. That Jesus died because of your sin. This is what's happened. That you chose a murderer over Jesus. But God has raised him from the dead. And I won't read these verses. But between verses 13 and 16, he he calls, or he, or sorry, uh, between verses 17 and 26, he calls them to repentance." Why? Because it brings about a forgiveness through Christ, and that forgiveness is available to anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. And so as this crowd began to listen in, it became obvious that these people knew that there was something different about Peter and John, so much so that some of them wanted to be arrested, but others were believing. And let's look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. I will read these for us. It says that they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them into custody until the next day for it was already evening. Verse four. But many of those who heard the word believed and the number of men came to be about 5,000. We went from seeing one, Peter and John seeing one lame man to now 5,000 people trusting Christ as Savior and Lord. When they saw that one man, I can't help but think that they saw the impact that could happen where 5,000 people would come to faith. You and I, if we're to be really honest, can't even imagine being in the presence of 5,000 people who surrender their life to Jesus in one moment. But here's what I can say. If you see the one that Jesus has put in front of your life the way that Jesus sees them, you may be very much a part of a work of 5,000 people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. And then let's keep reading. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem. With Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were on the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means is this man, has this man been healed? Let it be known to all of you, to all people of Israel, That by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. And pay attention to verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. When I eat barbecue at a barbecue restaurant <clears throat> and I come home, Laura Im- immediately, just by the smell of, that I carry, knows that I've had barbecue for lunch. You know this. You can't go into a barbecue restaurant and not smell like barbecue when you come out. I share that funny to say this. When your neighbor... Across the street, sees you, can they see that you've been with Jesus? The person you're standing in line at the restaurant just a little bit, waiting to get a table, or at the grocery store later this week, can they see that you've been with Jesus? Can your people in your own home see that you've been with Jesus? Can the least of these in our community, when you interact with them or pass by them, can they tell that you've been with Jesus? These people gathered together, even these authorities, could tell that Peter and John had been with Jesus. And while they saw this lame man, and they saw his needs and his potential and his impact, they pointed people to Jesus when it was all said and done, why? Because under no other name under heaven given by men by which we must be saved, right? Jesus is it. And listen, after they left, the re- the religious leaders told them to keep quiet, not speak about him. Peter said, "I'm sorry, we cannot help but speak of the things that we have seen and heard." They knew their faith was not of their own, but the works of God themselves. And after leaving this church family, listen. They gathered together with friends and family to worship and pray. And when they had prayed, the place that they were gathered with was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. I'll ask you this morning what if this morning in our worship and prayer this place began to shake? What would you do? Do you even believe it could happen? What if in the invitation, in a few moments, you turned your chair into an altar, you turned the stage into a place where you kneeled in prayer, and you prayed and asked the God under which salvation is granted, through Him only can people be saved, that you prayed and asked for God to give you eyes to see people and opportunities to share His good news. That what happens that when you got up from that prayer time that you became filled with the Spirit like never before? You walked out of these doors into the community, and you were emboldened and passionate to share the gospel. And next week when you come in, you stop at that ping pong ball wall there, and you grab a dozen ping pong balls, and you throw them in, because you have been faithfully sharing the gospel by being empowered with it, because it started on your knees asking God to give you open eyes and an open heart, and you were willingly obedient to do it. Would we be okay if this place started shaking? The way that it'll start shaking is when we get on our knees and ask God to open our eyes to see people the way that he sees them. And I want to be a part of a church that sees people the way that Jesus sees them. And I want to be a part of a church that when they look back at us, they see Jesus Christ, the risen Savior, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the earth. I do not want them to see a Jesus that fits my desires and moods. I want them to see the risen Savior. In high school, I finished. Or I went on my first mission trip to Galveston, Texas. So I was excited to go to the beach. I didn't really realize that Galveston Beach is not what I would call... Uh, ideal. One of our opportunities was to walk along the beach and pass out water bottles to people, and I, I'll never forget this encounter, and I, I think about it often, and I'll tell you why I think about it often. Me and a classmate were walking. We saw a lady. She was not had no beach clothes, no beach attire, no beach uh, supplies. She was sitting in her work clothes, sitting in the sand, raking a pile of sand with a can of beer next to her. As we approached her, We introduced ourselves, told her where we were from. We asked her, and as she looked up at us, there were tears streaming down her face. Two young high school kids became aware that she had suffered an unimaginable loss and was sitting on the beach because it was the closest thing that she could find to what she had lost. Not knowing really how to handle the situation, I just shared with her the hope that was in Jesus Christ. And as two young high school guys shared the gospel with her, she prayed with tears rolling down her face and trusted Christ as her Lord and Savior and her eternity was changed. And I share that with you to say this. Not because I regularly share the gospel with people. I fail often. But there was something different about that encounter than my everyday life that I live. And I think I, I've summarized them in this way. One, one, I was praying for opportunities, and I was praying for eyes to see. And then when I was walking along that beach, I was looking for people. I was being led by the Spirit, guided by the Spirit, and I was empowered by the Spirit because in a situation where this woman is sharing about this unimaginable loss, as a teenager, I had no idea how to help her except to share the gospel with her. And I'll share this with you this morning. You have a routine that you follow in a rhythm of your life. Don't become so preoccupied with yourself and your rhythm and your routine that you miss the people sitting at gates all around you. Because they have a need and they have potential and they have an impact. And when those people look back at you, you show them Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. Let's pray. As I instructed last week, we've extended our invitation time to sing a full song. If you're going to love others well, we've got to see them first. And so in this time of invitation, you may be in the room and you've heard that salvation comes through Jesus Christ alone. and you know here that you are like that lame man, you are dead in your sins with no hope of fixing your situation, and today salvation has come to you, and you want to repent of your sin and trust Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, then when we stand and sing in just a minute, you come forward, there will be staff sitting at the front, on this front center pew, and they'll, they'll, they'll pray with you as you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. For the rest of you, The Lord's in the business of sanctifying you and making you more like him. And I don't know how he's used Acts chapter 3 and 4 to speak to you this morning, but it could be something like you're under conviction that you've been so busy, you're missing seeing people. Maybe you've, maybe God's put somebody on your heart and mind that you need to spend time with. Maybe you need to repent of not walking obedience to the opportunities that God gives you. And I'm going to encourage you to, if you want to come forward and kneel, and you want to turn in your chair and make it an altar and get on your knees before God and say, God, help me see people the way that you want me to see them. Help me take advantage of the opportunities that you put in front of me. Help me see their needs, their potential, and the impact that they can have. And then begin to pray that you will walk in willing obedience to what He's calling you to do. You know how to respond to what God's calling you to do, and you respond in the way that He's leading you. Father, I pray that through the power of your Spirit, you've made it clear to every single person in this room, from the youngest to the oldest, how you want them to respond to the word that you have delivered this morning. And Father, I pray that they would respond in obedience, willing obedience, not delayed, but will respond in obedience to how you lead today. Whether it's in prayer, whether it's standing and singing, whether it's coming forward and talking with the pastor, God, I pray that we would respond the way that you lead us to this morning, and we pray this in your name, amen.